The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Welcome to a new episode of the Shaken and Stirred Show. I'm Nigel Barker from New York, and people, it's Amateur Hour. I've got Tom Astor in Oxford, England, um, bringing up Amateur Hour already as he finishes off his dinner because he's having a dinner party and he's very kindly left his dinner party with a plate of food that he's still eating um, and he's got himself a glass of wine. And guys, this is what the Shaken and Stirred show is all about. It's about it's about talking and having a laugh over dinner, over a drink. Tom, how are you, buddy? I'm really well, thanks, Knight. Um, all the benefit. I, if you hear loud raucous goings on behind me, you know why you know what it is. I'm very well, yeah, I'm good. I'm at the tail end of a dinner party. When we say amateur, I've run, I've like got, still got cheese, but no biscuits, which is hugely problematic. There you go. Hugely problematic. One would have to eat one's cheese without a biscuit. What would the queen <laughs> say? What would we say? Oh. Well, what, I saw you have a delicious glass of red wine in your hand. What is that? I'm not going to tell you. Oh, okay. That's, that's helpful. No. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It grew out of the Ross 2006. Ooh. But I wanted, you know, I didn't want this to be my cocktail. But I mean, obviously, it's too late. I can't drink a cocktail on, on top of this. Um, but what I wanted to do was pretend that I was drinking something else, pretend on the shake of the stir shed that I was drinking something else. But then I just realized that it wouldn't have been that good because the top's still on the bottle. But I was going to pretend. It's October, right? It's October. And in my house, I've, I've had a German friend staying for a couple of days. He's from Bremen in Germany. And um, this is Vesebex, comes from here. And uh, October is Oktoberfest in the south, in Munich. So I thought German theme thing. I then saw that it's like Bex Blue, which is alcohol free. So I was going to pretend that I wasn't drinking at the moment as well. But as you can see, the bottle is unopened, so there's just no point anyway what are you drinking right it's well, a cocktail hopefully I, a cocktail I go something with a theme you know i love a good theme so i decided to do so i looked it up and i found a cocktail called check it out the red zone <laughs> the red zone people one and a half parts vodka one part peach snaps and i use peach tree snaps three parts cranberry juice and a splash of sour mix and I'm going to taste it right now because it sounds kind of gross, but mm. you need to mix it up. It looks unmixed. No, I've mixed it. I mixed it. It's just I've got a huge, giant piece of ice in here, so it kind of looks. Right. Like a big bit of it in the middle. It looks like it's That's separate. That's my ice. That's my ice. I've I've taken to making my own ice. I've got this ice tray which makes giant sticks of ice that I can carve and cut up, which is quite fun. Customized to the glass. So in here, I have a sort of four-inch uh, by two-inch by two-inch piece of ice, which is the reason why it looks a bit clear in the middle. It's actually quite nice. It's The Salix, funnily enough, is the one ingredient I thought, ooh, but actually, I think it's actually what makes the drink. <laughs> it um, gives it a little bite. Um, so not shocked. I don't have much story about the Red Zone, other than people, you know, I love to give a little clue um, to our, our guest this week. And um, hey, we'll get into the Red Zone with our guest when she comes on. But before that, a bit of booze news, a bit of royal booze news. We love a little royal booze news. More Prince royal, royal hang on, more royal stuff. More. On the um, television today. And that was my, my exactly my thinking that um, he was trying as desperately as hard as he could to try and remedy or alleviate some of the problems that have been caused by his brother. Um, and, and to the family as a whole. And I saw him, but you'll be glad to, hear, you're glad to know that I didn't listen to it. So you're about to tell us something, aren't you? Well, this particular bit of booze news is less about that and more about the environment, which is very close to Prince Charles's heart. And um, well, it turns out that Prince Charles's Aston Martin runs on fuel made from wine and cheese. <laughs> now, he's been driving this Aston Martin which it sounds like you, by the way, Tom Astor, as you eat cheese without your crackers and you've got a glass of red wine. So you are a bit like an Aston Martin and a 50-year-old one, by the way, uh, a DB6, which his mum gave him on his 21st birthday. And it was, in fact, a gas 
regular petrol gas uh, um, Aston Martin, and he had it converted in the sort of, I guess, the 2000s, 2008. And apparently when he asked Aston Martin if they would convert it to actually run on ethanol, um, they were like, no, it's going to be awful. It's going to ruin it. This bioethanol is going to ruin the car. But he said, if you don't do it, I'm not going to drive it. So they went ahead and did it anyway. And apparently now it goes better, drives better than it ever did before. And he says that actually, as you're driving along, it smells delicious. Which, <laughs> the thought of... Um, That's like a chip shop. I mean, apparently, if you use all that stuff from chip shops and things, and all that, you know, olive oil, I mean, that oil from fast food restaurants apparently if you're following a car that's, that's burning that it, it's like literally standing in the fish and chip shop i can't believe that smells good it might it? be considered delicious but it also might be considered disgusting i mean it really depends i don't know wine and cheese sounds a little bit better but i, I can't quite understand how it exactly it must smell but anyway there's a bit of booze news for you you can run your car on wine and cheese people we all enjoy a cocktail even an aston martin now, on to a little bit of, um, what do we say? Our guest, our next guest, and the Red Zone. Our guest today is a licensed clinical psychologist and coach. She's personally helped celebrities and high-performing executives, entrepreneurs, and athletes to crush their inner critic and access untapped, practically limitless reserves of potential. Here with her new book, Get Out of the Red Zone, please welcome Elizabeth Lombardo, AKA Dr. E. How are you? I am extremely well and honored to get to be with you two gentlemen today. Wonderful. Well, you know, the Red Zone is actually Tom's nickname. Um, when he was at school, being ginger, you know, he was always considered the Red Zone. So, Tom, this is, you know, get out of the Red Zone. What do you have to say about that? Not the Red Zone. No, my father, he looks exactly like me. Every time he came along, I used to hear people who worked for him saying, Red Alert. That was his thing. And it literally was Red Alert, which I thought was Red brilliant. Alert. But yes. Yeah. I doubt very much that Elizabeth, anything Elizabeth Britain has got anything to do with ginger people, unless, of course, she touched on the genetic gold mine that is being ginger. What is I didn't. I didn't talk about it, but I have a ginger. My oldest is a beautiful redhead, so it, I passed it on. Wow. There you go. So I, it's nothing I can say now because clearly she's already she's sold, which um, <laughs> uh, the genetic gold mine lives on. But before we get there, I, I saw you have a little glass of something with you. What are you drinking? I do. I have a Cabernet, a Pine Ridge Cabernet. Um, Pine Ridge is one of my favorite vineyards in Napa Valley. We went there for my husband's 40th and his 50th birthday. So it's always nice to have a glass of Cabernet. I live in Chicago where it is cold at least six months out of the year so it always warms me up i'm a big fan of chicago love yeah. it there. um i've always loved that part of the world have you, have you is that where you're from originally no i grew up outside of new york oh so East what Coast. made you what, what how did you get to chicago was your husband or what, what my husband's you? job yeah wow yeah and do you feel like a, a chicagoan at this point I do. I feel more like a Midwesterner. They're very, I was, you know, I grew up, my, my city when I was growing up was Manhattan. And when I came to Chicago when I was a kid, I remember thinking, wow, this is like New York City with nice people. Now, there are definitely nice people in New York now. Uh, but when I was growing up, it, was, it wasn't the greatest place to, uh, to be. So we definitely feel at home here. You can't come back to New York now. She just said yeah. that. She's blown it on no. New York. Yeah, I'm going to be banned yeah. now. Yeah, New York is basically the red zone, people. <laughs> You know, There's a lot of red zoning going on in New York. Yes, well, everywhere actually. This this book, which red zone is when we have high levels of stress, it could really couldn't come out at a better time because I don't think stress levels have ever been higher, um, at least in in, in our, our modern era. So, so, why do we just talk about the name for a second here? Red zone. What, what? How did you come up with that specific zone? Because obviously it's a football term, you know, amongst other things. So, okay, you know, hang on. Sorry, sorry. Okay, that's that, that makes a hell of a lot of. Stuff. I had no idea it was it's an American football time, you mean? Correct. It's the, it's the area, it's the 20 yards between the, okay. the defensive line. So it's for, so anybody listening to this podcast who's not American will have no idea about that reference, including, I mean, I have, I've read up on this, but it's very important to to say that the, we don't have a red zone in, in, in any of our sports. So uh, that being And said, the book has nothing to do with American football red zone. Because oh, actually, American football red zone you want to get into, and I'm saying you want to get out of this psychological. That's what I was wondering. That's what I was wondering because it's the, probably the most famous 
I guess, and you know, the connection is red zone is, is, is in American football. Although, Tom, in rugby, English rugby, we uh, for years there was a considered to be a red zone in English rugby, uh, and it does it's not talked about much much these days. But in my research of red zone, because I did, I looked into <laughs> how many places can you find the red zone. And by the way, I'm drinking a cocktail called the Red Zone. Oh man, that's so good! And it's vodka, it's um, peach snaps, it's cranberry juice, and sour mix all combined and, together. And, and, and it's you healthy pressure. too. I mean, oh, I mean <laughs> drink it and then get out of it. Sorry, that that could mean two things, didn't it? Yeah, I think I that you've done more research on the term red zone than I did and probably should have before I published a book on it. So <laughs> <laughs> I like a good analogy. So, OK, what, what was your reasoning behind it? Well, so uh, let me explain what the psychological red zone is. The psychological red zone is we're at high levels of stress or in psychology, we call it distress, right? Distress is kind of the negative aspect of stress. It includes any emotion you don't want anxiety, worry, fear, guilt, shame, anger, sadness, helplessness, hopelessness, worthlessness, all that goes in the distress pile. And if you think of distress as existing on a continuum or a scale from zero, none at all, to 10, the most distressed you've ever been, right? So if you're angry at a 10, for example, you might be yelling or the proverbial steam coming out of your ears. The psychological red zone is when we're at a seven out of 10 or higher. And I call it the red zone because it's a place you really want to get out of because when we're in the red zone, we don't think rationally. Our brain kind of gets hijacked by a stressful thinking. And so we tend to act in ways we don't necessarily want to. We may say or do things that we later regret. We may procrastinate when we're in the red zone. Um, all kinds of, of unhealthy and unhelpful things happen when we get in the red zone. I, I guess, you know, you, you mentioned it and I've read about it, that you talk about it being the sort of interplay between passion and stress. And I guess there's an element of, you know, when you are that furious or upset, that that is also a form of passion, isn't it? It's a form of you're passionately upset. Is that what you mean by that? Or what well, is that? passion is, to me, passion is kind of the, the opposite of distress. So when we have passion, that's kind of that, that positive energy, that excitement. When we're in a state of passion, we're we're grateful and appreciative of what's happening and we're excited to make it even better. When we're at high levels of distress, we usually have low passion because when we're in high levels of distress, that's when we're focusing on wrong. That's when all those negative emotions come out. So they kind of, they counteract each other. But couldn't it be that, you know, for argument's sake, that you're incredibly passionate about something and that's making you very stressed because you're really passionate about something and that therefore it's quite stressful because for example, being well, in would be quite stressful. Well, Team, watching your team about right. whether they're going to win or lose on a knife edge. Well, let's take let's take it back to American football. It's it's all it's you know it's evenly matched. So so in psychology, we probably would call that U stress, E U stress, which is that positive stress, that excitement, that who's going to win if you're watching a horror film and you like horror films, kind of that that excitement of what's going to happen, um, and that would definitely be passion. Did you call that E U stress? Yeah. There's, not like nothing, not like stress nothing, from the EU. But by the way, in, in the England, there's nothing nothing passionate about the EU. No <laughs> one is loving the EU. I'm spelling it out for you. It's called Don't you stress. just love it when we do these cross it is international um, podcasts with guests from the UK, people from the UK, people from the America. It's, it doesn't lost in translation, people. I love it. You know, you know something. I will probably you could get onto this later if we want, or we all could. Back to synchronicity. I mean, I've literally been sitting at the table with my German friend Frank this evening. And my Danish friend Pete, both countries of which were a member of the EU, talking about the, the EU stress and about you know, about who about who who is most stressed about the, the what's going on with the EU. Six, so six, that goes to synchronicity. But sorry, back to what you back to what you were saying. I guess to, to, to Dr. E's you know book, the reality is is that I think people are at very high levels of stress right now. Right there is if it isn't, for example, politics and, you know, and obviously trade with the EU in, in, in the UK and, and in obviously the whole of Europe, we've got a pandemic that's still raging, that's still freaking people out. Everyone's working from home and doing their thing. And it's just stressful and weird. People can't go shopping without wearing a mask or not sure whether they're doing it right, doing it wrong. People on both sides of the aisle politically are at odds with one another, but also at odds with each other within the parties too, as to what's right or wrong. You know, the, the, it, I feel that there is, 
you know, the children are suffering in, in massive ways as well. And, and if you're an old person, God, you know, heaven forbid you get it. And then if you don't get it, you don't see anybody. So you're spending the last years of your life alone. So there's a lot of stress one way or another, whether it pushes you all the way to the red zone or whether it makes you just sad. I don't know whether that's a difference. And I'd love to know too, what, what, what is that sort of, what, you know, how far does one have to go before you hit the red zone and a book like yours is relevant? Well, the book, I mean, we all get into the red zone sometimes. Hopefully we don't spend a lot of time there, but there have all been times when we felt really angry or really anxious or really sad. Um, the goal is if you go there to be able to get out of it. There, the rates of clinical depression and anxiety right now are, are, are staggering. That would be people who are spending a lot of time in the red zone. Um, but but all of us have been in the red zone at some point in our lives. And you're right, right now, um, there's so many factors going into it. You mentioned children. I mean, 70% of, of teens in the US at least say that anxiety and depression is a major issue for their peers. 80% report experiencing significant stress on a daily basis. These are our teens who we're talking about. Um, so it's, it's, it's impacting people at all levels. And for, and for kids, for example, I mean, it's a book like yours does, is it, is it the same? And I only ask because it's, you know, oftentimes with, with, with medicine in general, that things that, that are for adults potentially don't necessarily work in the same way as they do for children or the same techniques aren't necessarily completely, they don't completely transfer. In, in, in this situation, is this something where, say, a, a parent who has a, a child who's going through anxiety could get a lot of benefit out of reading a book like this? Absolutely. And in fact, I created, I have a company called Elevive, Elevate Your Mindset, Thrive in Life, and it's uh, mind skills training for adolescents and their parents. And a lot of it is about this concept of red zone. Think about it. If, you're, if your child is, for example, studying for a test and they are feeling panicky, they're in the red zone. What happens in the red zone is our limbic system hijacks our rational thinking, which means uh, our brain is focused on surviving. When our brain is focused on surviving, we can't focus, we can't concentrate. It's tough to learn new things and it's tough to remember things. So just by helping your child get out of the red zone as they're studying for a test or before they go into a test, that can be very powerful, not only in terms of their success academically, but how, how they view themselves, their self-confidence and their belief in themselves. Is it similar to DBT? therapy you know um, dialectical um you know dialectical behavioral therapy which they treat it is basic, it's, um, it's very much based in cbt cognitive behavioral therapy um which yeah. uh, dvt is is kind of um an aspect I, of it, but it is it's, it's being really aware of where you are because i'm sure we've all had the experience where we kind of lost it on someone whether it's our kids or our loved ones road rage is a great example of people being in the red zone We've all been there before. So being aware of where are you on that scale? And I always tell my coaching clients, I work with kids and I work with adults. I always say, if you're at a seven out of 10 or higher on that scale, don't let anything out of your mouth. Cause that's when we say things we later regret and don't put anything in your mouth. Cause that's when we tend to consume things we later regret. Mm, interesting. That's very interesting. It's funny because I, you know, you were mentioning obviously kids and stress with all that kind of stuff. And I, you know, and if you're too stressed, you really can't learn and all that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, I, I've been my, my, my kids just, just recently going doing some homework and I think my daughter was trying to do her Spanish and was just getting more and more frustrated to the point with, of tears, you know, and, and it was just trying to remember something. And, and, you know, at that point, once you get into that moment, we've all seen it with our kids, it's, it's pointless to sort of go on almost. You have to sort of stop and walk away and, you know, and, but there was, but of course that, that, you know, the problem with those moments, isn't it, is that good judgment it's very hard to come by when you're in the red zone, right? You know, when you, because once you, it's almost like the sort of tipping point of no return, you know? For, so it, it's like, what happens? How do you get yourself? What is the reminder or the alarm clock that you need to set off that says, you're in the red zone. It's sort of like, it's not like a light that goes off, like a red light that goes, you know, you know, you know. so and you're not like checking your pulse rate at this moment. It's like, you know, what is that thing? Because most people, once it's flipped, it's too late. It's like the rage is gone. And it's like when you see a superhero and, and you're like the Incredible Hulk and you pissed him off too much and he starts to turn into the Hulk. You know, it's too late at that point. He's gone. He's on his way. Right. So all shit's going to hit the fan, you know.
Exactly. And that's exactly it. it. It's really important that we are aware of our own signs of when we are creeping into the red zone. So I, I call them red flags. I talk about it in the book, um, Get Out of the Red Zone. So they're these red flags that we want to be aware of. One are the emotions. When you notice yourself feeling angry or helpless or frustrated, that may be an indicator you're creeping up into the red zone. You want to do something to, to reduce that. Second is physiologically. Uh, some of my clients talk about how they get really hot right as they're about to get into the red zone or as they're in the red zone. Um, some people get GI disturbance. For me, um, I, I remember walking by the, the mirror when I was defending my dissertation and my ears and my shoulders have become one because all the tension goes into my neck. So our bodies sometimes will tell us that we're creeping into the red zone. And then the third red flag are behaviors. When you notice yourself being a little snippy with loved ones, um, so doing things you don't want to do or the opposite, not doing what you want to do, such as procrastination, those can all be signs that you're getting into the red zone. And so you want to stop and just ask yourself, where am I? And if you're at a six or higher, so the red zone is seven, you don't want to wait till then. But if you're at a six or higher, you want to do something healthy and helpful to get you down so that you then don't you know, turn into that incredible hulk and, and you can't control yourself. I only wish we had a red zone-ometer or something that we could like look at the numbers because you know what, what you know judging even when i you know i've got something called a whoop which judge my judges my my heart rate and you know and it's all about exercise but, but it, they often asks me you know when i do a workout what was it on a scale of one to ten as far as hard or easy plausible strong all the rest of it and it's i find it very hard to know exactly what i should be saying because i think too we like to either exaggerate to ourselves or we like to lie to ourselves or we like to pretend that it wasn't that bad or we like to say it wasn't or we, or we like to think we did better than we did or, or you know, and, and some and people are in a state of denial a lot of times that they're in perhaps the red zone or, or were in the red zone. No, no, I, because that suggests they were out of control, right? I mean, what you're suggesting is, is that when you get into the red zone, you're really an out of control person. So you've got to slow yourself down before then, right? You can, yeah, you can be an out of control person. And here's the thing, everyone gets into the red zone. So I, I just did a panel, it's Mental Health Awareness Month. And I was just doing a, a panel in my town about destigmatizing mental health. And I think one of the ways that we can destigmatize mental health, first of all, is to acknowledge that we all have mental health, right? We all have physical health because we have a body. We all have mental health because we have mind. But two, that we all fluctuate in terms of how we feel. And so if we can give our kids and our adults this language of, wow, you know, I, I'm, I'm at a six right now. I'm going to go take a walk. Um, that really destigmatizes that something's wrong with you. It's just, it's human nature to, to, experience stress it's then what do you do with it right the old go walk it off moment yeah, you know, it can know. be powerful i have a, i have a um i was giving a keynote um a couple of weeks ago and then came back and did some group coaching with with a particular company and one of the uh people on the call said that she now whenever she has a meeting as a one-on-one -on -one meeting she asks the other person and herself where they are on that scale and she's in finance she said I, I was meeting with my analyst and he was an eight out of ten she said i just i postponed the meeting to the next day i sent him a grubhub uh, gift certificate he was able to get out of the red zone. The next day they had their meeting, they were much more effective. Wow, that's yeah. very nice. <laughs> that's an incredibly pleasant thing to do. So that's interesting. So we, that's noticing when someone else, like a colleague, a work friend is in the red zone. And, and it's also going to be incredibly, maybe incredibly annoying too, when someone says, no, I'm not talking to you because you're not, you're in the red zone. And you're like, no, I'm not, I'm not in the red zone. <laughs> I'm not in the red zone, right? Yeah. You're, 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 you're in the red zone, I can tell. You're, you're definitely yeah. seven. So, and, and that's exactly it. You want to speak to someone in the red zone differently than when they're in the what I would call the green zone, that zero, one, two, three. Um, and so maybe you you if you don't say you're in the red zone, but maybe you say, hey, you know what? Things feel kind of heated right now. Why don't we take a break? You have or, it, it seems it, like we're not we're not getting anywhere. Why don't we why don't we reconvene tomorrow? But it, the way you speak to people is, is very reflect the way they behave is, is, is very reflective of the way you actually speak to people, what you were just saying. And I had I think I had a scenario, I was in a lift in, in an airport a couple of years ago, and there was a guy who was so so cross pushing his trolley, and he had his wife there who was just very quiet, and he was really Anyway, as he got out of the lift on the first floor, as he went past me, sort of ran his wife, punched his wife over, he, he 
you know, he basically bashed into her and she let out a squeal and he was still angry. And as he went past me, I, I said, um, somebody's had a long day, you know, because it looked like he'd been traveling all day. And he got out of the lift and he turned around. All he wanted to do was fight. He said, what, you know, I can't tell you what he said to me. I can't even on this podcast, but. Bleep, 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 bleep. Is exactly, but the point is, when I said somebody's had a long day, probably it's the re- isn't it quite a lot of it to do with like phrasing when telling it's like you know if you want to know how to talk to your friends about when you see that they're in the red zone and help them out of it don't say you or don't say somebody and make it ambiguous don't sort of wind the situation up just say god you know traveling so exhausting isn't it you know it's just endless don't you just find it goes on and on and on it's just oh god it gets just wears you down that's probably what i should have said but is it is, is that is there a sort of I mean, do you, do you kind of like have, uh, you know, um, do you have kind of advice for this kind of thing, talking to colleagues and stuff, I mean, you know, on this level? Or? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You, probably not saying you, because when we're in the red zone, we tend to be rather defensive. If you say, if you scream A to someone in the red zone, they're probably going to scream B back, even if they don't believe it, because that's just that's just the way that our brains work. Um, so probably not using the word you, but you're right. That empathy that you said, man, traveling can be tough, and you know, kind of empathizing with that that can be very powerful. If it's someone you know, then I like a partner, a child. I highly recommend that you not in the red zone, have a conversation. What can I say to you when you're in the red zone to help you where it doesn't hurt your feelings? So un- unrelated example. Apart from, um, apart uh, from can you F off? Right. <laughs> but, but, but here's the thing, because it's not just what you say, it's how people hear it. Because someone else might have heard what you said and been like, yeah, you know, I have had a bad day. But this gentleman took offense. I mean, again, when we're in the red zone, we tend to personalize what other people say more. Mm-hmm. So, well, kind of figuring out what can your partner, what can your colleague, what can your child, how can they hear it in a way that's helpful and they don't get defensive about it. And you become more sensitive. You become more sensitive when you're in the red zone. You're more sensitive to to having it sort of being chippy and being like sort of um, you know, taking things personally. Um, we personalize uh, more, we judge ourselves more, we judge other people more, we're focused on what's wrong. And that is, that is truly all we can see. We don't see the niceness in people. We don't see the good things. We're just focusing on what's wrong in the red zone. What about a, a different form of red zone in as much as we're talking at the moment more about anger and being someone being really irritable, but there are, I would imagine, also red zones as far as extreme versions of anxiety where you get incredibly nervous or you get really, and you you know, and people who have got having an anxiety attack of some sort. And that I would imagine is also a red zone where you, you've sort of led yourself, wound yourself up for a meeting or for some public speaking moment or something, you know, and I I know that there's a lot of actors and people who have endorsed you and and love what you say and what you're about. And actually you've said, you know, that they've, they've used your words and what your, and your advice to help them you go get roles and and get up there and and perform because, you know, nerves are real, even for actors, people, you feel like they, 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 they're all confident all the time. It's not true. Many of them are very nervous individuals. Um, But what talk to us, because that's a different environment, it's a different situation. How how in that way, because you oftentimes other people aren't aware, right? People aren't Mm going to see you. It's internalized. Your fear is inside and it's hard to quell because we've had a lot of people talk about anxiety on the show, about other experts, and they all have different tricks and things, but this is a little different the way you're describing it too. I'd love to know like what your advice is there personally when you feel that anxiousness building up. Well, it depends where you are and I, on that skill. And I say that because the skills that are helpful at a uh, four, five, and six are different than what you would need to do if you're in a full-blown panic attack that nine or the 10. So when you're at lower levels of distress, but it's still high, you're starting to feel panicky. Mm-hmm. That's when you really want to realize, what am I saying to myself? Panic is caused by what we're saying to ourselves. It's going to be awful and unbearable. I can't handle it. A lot of times when people have a panic attack, they have physical sensations, difficulty breathing, heart palpitations, and their interpretation is I'm dying, I'm having a heart attack, 
if you're, if you're going out on stage, you know, I'm going to completely lose it. So when, when you still can think rationally, you want to use that cognitive behavioral therapy. You want to use that cognitive restructuring, that, that self-talk to help you get out. But if we're really high on, on the distress scale, if you're at a nine or a 10, rational thinking is very difficult. We think differently when we're that high. So in those situations, I, I, I recommend that clients actually keep a list of at least five things that you can do when you're in the red zone. And the reason why you keep a list is because it's hard to th think of them when you're in the red zone. Um, and so when you're at those high levels, those are the things like um, exercise, exercise, going for a walk, jumping on the bed, doing two minutes of push-ups, sit-ups, squats. What it does is it releases biochemicals to allow us to get out of the red zone. Um, other things are things like laughter, right? Watching a funny video. I have a client who suffers from panic attacks and, and literally, I don't know how many shrinks tell their clients to get on TikTok, but TikTok for her does, is, is a positive thing. And so she just gets on and watches a couple of TikTok videos, makes her laugh. She's, she gets out of the red zone and then she can deal with it. Uh, music can be very powerful. I, my, a lot of my coaching clients keep a get out of the red zone music list of songs, maybe that from a happier time or that they like to dance to, whatever, because that music can help them get out. So once you then get out of that red zone, then you can start to use some of the other self-talk, cognitive restructuring um, variables that, that can, can be helpful. But we can't use those when we're really high. When you're at that state of panic attack, it's hard to think rationally. Are you a, a believer of sort of breath work and things like that Absolutely. too? Yeah, yeah. You, interestingly, you can get yourself, I don't recommend this at home, but you can get yourself in the red zone with your breath. Um, if you do short, um, shallow, quick breaths, especially like through a straw, you can actually cause a panic attack in some people. Do not try this at home, please. We try, but, I was about to try it. It's gonna be quite fun. <laughs> Let's see what happens. Yeah, um, yeah. But the beauty is, yeah, because what happens is it, it uh, addresses our vagus nerve. And uh, when we take nice, slow, deep breaths, it allows our physiology to calm down. And that also allows us to get out of, out of the red zone. So th this, this book of yours, Get Out of the Red Zone, is the first of three books, correct? And out of your True Success series. And yes. you, you have, it's, it's, you know, first one is passion, then the next one's gonna be purpose, and then you have people coming out as part of this series. So just sort of going back to the, the passion concept here, you know, you said it's the opposite, really, of the red zone. In, 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 so, but, it, but is there not, is there, so that's something you should always be trying, striving for is to be passionate or what, what do you mean passionate or passion? Is it is they the same or not the same? Yeah, so the way I define passion is positive energy, right? It's, it's being in a state of gratitude, appreciation for what's going on, but not in a way of everything's perfect. When we're in a state of passion, we see that there may be problems, obstacles, things we don't want. But when we're in a state of passion, we feel very empowered. We feel very excited and enthusiastic to make things better. So, so regardless of what's going on in our lives, we can be in a state of passion. Example, when I was doing my postdoctoral training, um, I worked at a major trauma center. I had received a consult for a gentleman who, um, he'd been an electrician working on a wire that was supposed to be inactive. Unfortunately for him, it was very active so that when he touched the wire, a volt of current went through his body and burned him so severely that the doctors gave his wife the following option. We can let him die or we can surgically amputate both of his arms. So the decision was made to surgically amputate both of his arms. And I will tell you, I assumed that this guy would be in the red zone. He's an electrician. He's a 42-year-old man, father. He now has no arms. Um, and when I went in to meet him, he had a smile on his face. And when I kind of asked him what was going on, his focus was very much in a state of passion. He was so grateful that his life had been saved. And he was so convinced that he was still here on this earth for a purpose, for, for a specific reason. He didn't know what it was. It's, a, it's a, a marital thing there as well. I mean, I'm not going to make light of this because obviously it's a very serious thing, but I would be pretty happy too. I mean, I'd be like, if literally you'd been in a sort of induced coma or something lying there and someone has said to your, your wife, you know, we can either chop, you know, amputate his arms or, or, you know, or we can like, you know, use, not euthanize, I mean, you know, let him, let him, let him go. 
um, I'd be pretty happy. You know, you think, oh, she's all right. She's all right. <laughs> she's not that bad. She likes me. She actually must really love me. And she wants me around, basically. She's taking me on with no arms as well. So then this is like, I mean, this, what, what's that to not be happy about? I, do you know, that's a terrible thing. To, it's not a terrible thing for me to say. I think what, it's a beautiful thing to say. <laughs> I have I never heard someone say that. And I have told that story. I did my postdoctoral training in 01. So I have told that story many times. So that is a beautiful way to look at it. Okay. I just thank God for that. I thought I was being out of order. I thought, now I didn't think I was being out of order. I suddenly thought that it might be taken the wrong way, but I'm so glad you took it the right way. Great. That, that's, that's the passion, right? Instead yeah. of focusing on what's wrong, it's not that you weren't aware that you're, you're, that this gentleman thought his arms were going to grow back, um, but what, what you focus on, it's really what we focus on. Wow. So let's, let's talk about then why we focus on these things, because it's sort of, you know, what is it about us as, as a species, as a, as a as a people, as a country, you know, that, that is driving us to be so perhaps stressed in general. Like obviously this gentleman had, you're talking about, Eva had a revelation at this time and was after the operation and was like, or after what had happened and was like, oh, you know, I'm gonna make the most of it. And I've, we've, I've seen and talked to extraordinary people who are sort of quadriplegics who have the most unbelievable outlook on life. And, and I know a guy who's blind and you know he actually skates and surfboards and surfs rather, and 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 um, he's actually number one in the country in judo. This guy called Anthony Ferraro, and there's and he he'll tell you that the only disability in life is a bad attitude, um, and and that's his whole mantra, right? So you get these incredible people, but there's also there's a, a sort of desire in the West and in America um, for sort of alpha individuals who and that, and it's you know to be a true success it's considered you kind of have to be an alpha that you have to have this drive that you have to be um you know sort of consumed with success and have a competitive edge and it, that a lot of these things also as a result have a i i, I would imagine that, that getting into the red zone is a part of that kind of character because if you're going to push yourself to the nth degree if there's nothing else on your horizon other than success if you have to be first if you have to be the winner then it, there's going to be pain right it, so is, is this a part of the problem is it is there a bigger problem that we're dealing with here well i so there are two parts to, to answer that one uh, how we define success especially in the us i think is um is one of the problems. And that's why the book series is on true, what I call true success, not how society may define success, right? Society may define success by having more money or looking a certain way or having a certain job title. But my typical coaching client is looks great on paper, right? They've made the money, they've had the, the traditional success. And yet all of them come to me, pretty much all of them come to me saying the same thing, is this as good as it gets? Because they thought once they signed the NFL contract or once they made their first million or two million or three million, then I'll feel good. But that's not at all what happens. And that's why I created this true success formula, which as you so eloquently shared before, is passion, that positive energy, even during difficult times, purpose, having a positive meaning in our lives, and then people optimizing our relationships with others. When we have those three ingredients, that's when we embrace life. That's when we enjoy life more. We're still pushing ourselves for um, external achievements, but we don't define ourselves by them. And in our society, especially in the US, it's very much what I would call conditional self-worth. I believe in myself if and only if certain external conditions are met. The problem with that is it's, it's almost like being on a treadmill, right? I'll, I'll, I'll believe in myself when I make my first million. Well, now I have to do something else to keep believing in myself. Next million, next million, next million. And so people feel like they never get there. So encompassing a, a life of true success is, is really what gets us to the point where we can say, yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm really, I'm, I, I like myself, I like my life, and I like that it's going to keep getting better. It's kind of Buddhism in a way. I mean, there's elements of what you're saying, which... Yeah sort of speak to Buddhism, because I feel like, you know, there's this, we, we are on, most of us are on a trajectory to, it's all about success. It's all about how much money I've made, it's the bigger house, it's the nicer holidays, it's, 
you know, the car that you're driving, it's a lot of material wealth that, and, and, and things that we can't take with us when we die. Um, and, it, and, it's, and then it's all right, what we're leaving when we're gone. So that, you know, as far as wealth is concerned, how much is everyone going to inherit? What kind of legacy have I built? What's my name going to be? And, and it, I feel that there's a, you know, the, the sort of Buddhist traits of, of finding peace in yourself and what is the meaning life. of life? You know, that oneness, you know, that, that, that is... One, one thing, sorry, the one thing that, can we go back to it all? Because this is all, it all stems from one thing, basically. And I'm, I'm luckily, thank God, one of those people who can literally, and I did it the other day, a friend rang up and said, how are you? And I went, I'm amazing. And he went, well, what, you're having an amazing time? And you're amazing. I went, I'm amazing. And he went, what do you mean you're amazing? You're such a dick. You know what I, mean? I went, no, no, no. I went, like, literally, literally. And he and, and I did it on purpose because he was, because, you know, because I did just a sort of test of, like, mm, yeah, it's the best interest thing. You really have me. Um, and anyway, he said, you're amazing. I said, yeah, Jesus. I mean, I love, I have never been so in love. I'm completely in love with myself. And I can, you know, on a daily basis, I check in with myself and tell myself how much I love myself. And which is, a, which is a really, by the way, great way to start the day, finish the day, spend the day, whatever. Um, and you can't possibly even begin to start enjoying anything or celebrating anybody else unless you actually understand the meaning of, you know, unless you really love yourself, how are you gonna love anything else? Just not, it's just not possible. Again, go back to the Buddhist thing, enlightenment, synchronicity, not letting things, not basically never going to red zone, you know, never red zoning at all, because you don't, it's not even, it's not, you know, you never get past one really. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're like me, just love yourself as much as I love myself, then you never get past one. But no, but it's, so, joke, sorry, I'm not making a joke out of it. Going, all the stuff you're talking about is basically, and wealth and stuff, it, it, it's, um, you know, there's a total lack of kind of like self love. And when my son said to me, you know, uh, four years ago, and I've said this before, he said, you know, if you lose all your money and, you know, we end up living, you end up living under a bridge in a cardboard box. This is what he said. He said, I'll come and live with you because that's how much I love you. Mm-hmm. Now, now that's right. I mean, success. There was a moment when, when I was like, okay, you want the meaning of success? I have literally just, but that is the mean for me, that is the most successful thing I've ever heard. The most successful, amazing thing that's ever happened. Right now. Why doesn't it happen? Why, you know, what this extraordinary thing, you know, it's an amazing, it was like, that was my definition. Happiness, happiness is success, right? And happiness is in here. So what's going to, what the point is, what's going, I think what Nigel was saying earlier, same thing, what's going wrong? I mean, why, why is, as my great friend, Dr. Jean Knox, who's a union psychoanalyst, you know, when I asked her what, what the, you know, the, the problem of the human condition, you know, does she, was she still surprised by anything having studied it for 40 years? And she said that 90% or 98% of the population live in a state of self-deception on a daily basis. Why? I mean, why are we still here? Why, why the hell aren't more people like me really irritated? Because I just piss people off, you know, because you know, I, I really do. I really think I'm great. And it seems to be such a problem to say that. Like people can't, people just are so offended by it. I mean, why is it so offensive? Why? I don't don't get it. I really don't. So there's a difference between loving yourself as opposed to just saying, I like who I am. I'm comfortable with who I am. Why? I mean, like, why? And why? Like, why? Like, why? I I think it's a generation versus generation versus generation that that is becoming uh, stronger and stronger. Social media is a great example. What is social media? Yeah, they, yeah. It, 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 pe- the longer people spend on social media, the more likely they are to be depressed. Why? Because they're comparing themselves. Their life is better. I'm not as good as them. My family isn't good as them. And it, and it becomes this, this um, perpetual judging ourselves. And what you said is so true. What goes on in our minds impacts everything that goes on out there. So if we are judging ourselves, guess who else we're judging? Everyone mm-hmm. around us. If we're loving ourselves, guess what else we're doing? We're loving everyone around us. Um, and that's not, you know, that's not a taught in schools. The other thing to consider is the way that our brain is hardwired was very helpful thousands and thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of years ago, because our brain, when it comes to stress, 
think about our, a, a cave a cave ancestor who heard a rustling in the bush. If they were like, ah, it's probably nothing, they may not live another day to pass on their DNA. Instead, our brain goes into the red zone, fight or flight. I got to take care of the situation. But what happened back then, of course, is these sources of stress were transient. They were short term. Either you got the animal, you got away from the animal, you died. Um, those are the three choices. And, and then that situation was gone. Now our sources of stress are more chronic. COVID, right? Uh, relationship issues, um, politics, you know, all, all these things that, that are compounded. So our mind... And the way that we handle stress is really not adapted to our current situation in our lives. And it is not taught in schools, although I hope it will be eventually. I'm working on this. The second time you said that. It's the second time you said it. And what's, what's interesting is, is one of the questions I had to be at the end, and I'm not going to ask you because you brought it up. With, and it's, you said it two or three times, actually, during this podcast. It's not taught in schools, not taught in schools. It's not taught. And I had to have this conversation where I've asked other people why how like how do you get this into schools it's it's seriously it's got to be more important than than i don't know i'm gonna i'm gonna risk the wrath of school teachers here but you know self-awareness and say that you know cbd whatever it is cbt sorry not cbd cbt <laughs> different thing but yeah <laughs> oh, 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 no. thc no, um, no, 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 no 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 that's not what we're talking about no, 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 no. i wasn't thinking of that um surely it's more important than um latin i don't know i mean you know and it, it, it's such an important, it's self-awareness and self, self, self-worth. self Isn't the problem, Tom, so few people to teach it? I mean, because no. we, that's also part of the issue. I mean, I agree with you. Latin teachers are, I mean, there can't be that many people. You need one teacher for every 40. There can't be that many freaking Latin teachers out there. Literally. It's, no, you know, if, I, I, agree. I couldn't agree more. I, I do think that, I mean, you know, obviously our children are obviously the, the next generation of people who are going to make the biggest changes in this world. And, they are, thank God, so much more, you know, aware in many ways, and sometimes because of things like social media or because of the way the communication has grown, but also it, it also creates a heck of a lot more stress and all the rest of it, and they find it very difficult to even be children these days, because before yeah. you know it, they're... Yeah, this, they, exactly. You're about to say you're working on it. You're working on the school thing. Can I ask you, am I, are we allowed to ask you what, how, what, what what is it? What are you doing? How are you doing it? How are you doing it? Yes, you're allowed to ask me that. Before I answer, I'm going to give you the statistic. 70% of teens wish that their schools taught them more about mental health and, and coping strategies. 70%. Wow. Admit to okay. it at least. So what do they do? They get on the internet and guess what they learn? How to deal with stress. One of the, one of the top ways, self-harm, cutting. Cutting is on the rise. The statistic is 20% of teens are cutting. I would highly, I believe that it's much higher, but that's what they get on the internet. So what am I doing? I've created a course, um, a social emotional learning curriculum for different levels of schools. And I've, I've worked on social emotional learning. My mom was a teacher for 50 years. I've done a lot of um, work in my kids' schools on this. And one of the biggest complaints that teachers have because social emotional learning in the United States is required, but when we look at what they're offering, it's not very good. Teachers are complaining that it's too hard to implement. So what right. I've done is created these very short, less than three minute videos. You literally hit play, the class watches it. It's one concept, it's red zone, it's why do bullies bully, it's um, healthy self-confidence. And then they ask a series of questions and we incorporate it in all different um, all different classes. So for example, before a math test, hey, where is everyone on scale from zero to 10? Great, there's some people who are in the red zone. Let's stop, let's literally do two minutes of jumping jacks. Now we can do the test. So, so it's these little ways to start to implement, to, to not only normalize that we all have stress, but to realize that we don't have to go into meditation for an hour and a half to address our stress. Nothing wrong with an hour and a half of meditation, but what are some ways that are short and sweet and quick that we can use so that we're in a better place? That's what I think is going to be really powerful. It's really wow. interesting that you see, yes, because like the opposite of doing an hour and a half of meditation is to do two minutes of jumping jacks. It's sort of, it feels like the complete opposite, but um, it, it, but you're right. I mean, I, I'm for one, as someone who uses exercise to, to calm down or to get my angst out, you know, if, if I, and I, and I often will literally think of, 
the things that are most annoying me as I'm doing my workout, just because it, I just push it all out. And, I'm, and at the end of it, I'm exhausted. And I've already, now I've gone through that. And yep. I'm like, and I kind of kind of hit the rest of the day. And, and I actually find too, by the way, that it, I'll go faster, lift heavier, and do all that kind of thing if I channel that way. And if I'm in too much of a good mood, I probably won't be <laughs> successful in the gym, but um, which is kind of ridiculous. But it, that is a very interesting sort of sort of thought process. I mean, you know, I mentioned earlier, I'm like, you know, who's going to teach this? And you, to your point, you just said, you know, a lot of the teachers are like, what do we do? Or how do we do it? And it, it, I mean, it is a real issue as, as teaching people how to teach and teaching people how to learn is another problem. A lot of kids just don't know how to learn. You know, they, they haven't been taught to learn. You know, and it's a it's a sort of an interesting process because you think assume that just you know a teacher will just teach you and you will just pick it up and learn but you know you see kids and their minds drift off they're not taken in and right now a lot of kids are still remote schooling or they're in classes and everyone's wearing a mask and they're talking to a teacher who's also got a mask on you know and it's very tough for people to to really to feel like they're if they you know to feel that they fit in just let alone deal with the social anxiety of being in that environment you know so Water, but you literally can condense everything you're saying into you can lead a horse to water if you can't make a drink the same thing whether it's school children or whatever um in the it with it, with kids so that you can avoid the stuff from the growing up you know when they hit when they become adult and you know the problems manifest themselves in different complicated ways and they pass it to their own kids to avoid that do you you think that um i don't know what your videos are like but is there a kind of like when you're trying to appeal, I guess, to different levels of school kid, is there kind of is there anything in the the, the idea of of actually the you know the production value of a video to get your message across? You know, and I'm not talking about you know using the Muppets for sort of you know four year olds or you know, but but is, 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 should there be kind of like different levels of you know very clever production to kind of actually get that message so you've got someone cool delivering the thing to the 15 year olds who are kind of like that age you know i don't know i mean do you, do you look at well, that or is it i mean the, the way that i have it right now is i have a it's a it's a character so it's a, a cartoon so it, it it appeals to the young kids but it's it's fine for the older kids um the you know as more and more celebrities are coming out talking about their own mental health struggles um, I think that's a real positive and I would love down the road to have um, people who these kids look up to giving these messages. Here's how I deal with it. Here, here's a situation. I have social, you know, I struggle with social anxiety. Here's something that I do because one, it normalizes. Two, they already look up to this person. And then three, here's the skill that you can use. So that would, I would love to be able to do that down the road. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I was recently at a concert and, um, you know, three or four of the different of the musicians who came up as global citizen were all talked about how they had you know, been suffering from mental health issues, especially, especially over the past year and had anxiety and stress and, you know, and, you know, Sean Mendes was one of them. And he you know, was even talking about how the fact he hadn't been on stage in almost two years. Yeah. This was his first concert and looking at 70,000 people was, you know, great, but at the same time, terrifying, <laughs> you know, yeah. what they were doing about it. Cause it's the only interesting bit of that. It's like, you can listen to people all day long going, I, I'm feeling sick, you know, I'm stressed. Oh, I've got a terrible mental health. My son does it. I don't know. My eldest son does it. Blames it, you know, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm like, you know, when, if he's an issue, you know, he might say something. And I go, well, that's fine. It's great that you've acknowledged, you know, the fact that you're not, you know, you're not feeling great about something. I think it's actually brilliant. That you're able to do that 50% of the way to curing yourself. What are you going to do about now it? What? You know, what help? Here's the help. You've got all the help. What are you going to do about it? Now it's when you don't do the help, when you don't take the help, and you're not interested in what you're going to do about it, but you're more interested in going. Oh, I've had been. I don't know if it's the case of Sean Mendes, but I've been on the stage for you know two years, and oh, God, this is such a worrying thing. But what are, what are you going to do about it? Like, what's the? What's the only interesting bit? You know, everything. There's a reason for everything, as they say. But it's the, the reason. You know, everything has a reason or whatever. But it's why, you know, it's what are you, you going to do about it? I don't know. I, mean, people... I, I agree. I mean, I think that the power would be then when that celebrity that, you know, whether it's Sean Mendes or whoever it is, then says, here's how I handle it. Yeah. So that you're giving a specific skill to your followers to say, okay, he did it. I'm not going to be in, on stage in front of 70,000 people, but maybe I'm going to give a presentation in front of my class. Here's one thing that he tried. Let me try that. 
because yeah. you know a lot of times people people grasp onto labels um and especially with all the diagnoses of anxiety and depression and the problem with that and i I am a psychologist, but I don't actually use labels because I think what happens is people get in their mind, I'm depressed. So that means, you know, so of course I'm tired. Well, you're tired because you stayed up till four o'clock in the morning watching Netflix, not because of your mental health disorder. So, you know, taking a step away from labels and just saying, and that's again, the whole concept of red zone is we're not giving a label of you have clinical depression. I'm feeling really sad right now. How can I feel less sad? I'm feeling panicky right now. How can I feel less panicky? And and realizing that these, you know, it, I often say it's like if you put your if you put your hand on a hot stove, you don't say, "Wow, my hand really hurts on this hot stove." Oof, I wish it was different, but poor me, my hands on a hot stove. You pull it off. That is feedback. It's biofeedback. It's a good thing it feels pain because then you know what to do. When we have emotional pain, when we have mental pain, what I encourage people to do and what I hope they'll start to do is to say, what can I do? This is this is the biofeedback. I'm not feeling as well as I want to. What can I do to feel better in a healthy and a helpful way? What part does guilt play into all of this? And well, I guilt, guilt creates a cycle that keeps us in the red zone. So great example. I have a, um, a client who um, he lied about using a vape, but he's a teenager. Um, and he lied about using a vape. And so his mom was really mad. Not only was he vaping, which she didn't want him to do, but he lied. And so she's yelling, screaming at him. And then he starts to feel guilty, which puts him even more in the red zone. And what does he do? Well, like 20% of teens, he, he cuts. And he said, because I felt in that case, he said, I felt like I deserved to feel the physical pain because I felt so guilty about this. So it really perpetuates um, it perpetuates and, and, and not meaning to do so when parents or partners, it's not just parents and kids, it works with partners too, or colleagues or whatever. When we judge other people, that can induce that guilt in other people, which then just, you know, causes that downward spiral of people staying in the red zone. So the goal is to acknowledge the behavior to address why did you do that behavior Right. So if a kid is, is vaping, you know, why did you do that? Well, I feel anxious around other people. Okay. Well, that's something that we can address. Let's help you feel less anxious without using a vape. Or I wanted to fit in with, a, you know, with the other kids. Okay. Well, how can you feel comfortable in a social situation without doing that? But helping kids understand, helping people understand why we do what we do. Cause we don't, you know, adults and kids, we don't always act at our best. But if we can look at why we're acting in this way or why we're doing it, and we can address that underlying motivation, then we can we can address our needs in a way that's it's more helpful. Do you, do you think? That, I mean, well, you know the answer. I was about to ask you a loaded question, but um, you know, it's like people. I I'm just going to say it, but I don't think people spend enough time actually thinking about whether they're behaving in the right way or not. Um, and again, the self deception, the self deception. I learned the other day, just completely not change the subject on the same thing, but I read something the other day saying, when as a parent, if you, if you, you pick your kid up at the end of the day and you go, how was school? How was your day? How was school today? I don't know if you've read this recently, but this thing came out and it said, it said for, for a child, for a child, this question is just way too, way too big. It's just like too big. It's crazy. It's like, it's like there's no, you can define, you can define what you kind of think that they should say. To them, it's just like the dumbest thing there. Like, you know, you just can't answer the question. If you pinpoint and pick something out specific, like who did you sit next to in lunch today at school, right? What sport did you, what did you do in sport? Did you enjoy your sports today? So you make them think, and they'll, it's absolutely extraordinary. My drives home with, with my 12 year old, since I've adopted this strategy, are absolutely amazing. You can kind of ask them anything. You can find out all sorts of things that you have no idea about they wouldn't have taught even if they were able to answer the question about what happened today at school they wouldn't have told you anyway you can find out the most amazing things about their lives but literally by asking you have to keep it really simple i mean and if you're just thinking they're exhausted after their school and it's the most amazing it's just annoying because like you know i've got a 12 year old my, my oldest is 20 i've got an 18 and a, and a 12 year old so it's like maybe i need to go and have some more kids i think i'm gonna be really good at it next time around anyway. <laughs> sorry I was, I was, that's like a good reason I, to procreate again I, I, it's, you know what I mean? 
it's a great it's it's a great topic and yes i'm certainly familiar with that because because for for a child that it is it is too much the other thing to consider is what questions are you asking because a lot of times especially in the us it's how did you do on the test how, how much homework do you have? So when we're focusing exclusively on academics in school, our kids start thinking, oh, what's most important is to do well in school. If you ask questions, when you ask questions, maybe addressing character and values, then your child is more likely to be focused on them. How did you, you know, what were you grateful for today? How did you help out one of your friends or how did you help out a classmate today? Because then what happens if they know these kinds of questions are coming up, they're gonna to start to scan their environment. They're gonna to start to focus on what they're grateful for or how they can serve others and help others. And that's really important that we help cultivate our, our children's and our own values and, and core characteristics as opposed to just focusing on, did you get an A in the science test? That's really, okay, that's taken the thing that I was talking about to the next level. So can I quickly, while you're here, get some, um, can we can I have some free advice? What were you grateful for today? Another quick, can I have two more things? So two more new questions for tomorrow. Well, think, think about what values and characteristics you want your child to emulate. Mm, so right. if you want them to be kind, what was something that you did? Um, you know, how did you how did you show kindness today? If it's um, appreciation, what was something that someone else did that made you feel happy today? Um, wow. What was you know? You can also do uh, rose thorn bud. Have you heard of that? Yeah, we played it. Yes. So and this is I do, even my seventeen year old loves doing this. So rose is what was a good thing that happened. Thorn, what was the not so good thing that happened? And then Bud, what are you looking forward to? Okay. Great table game, by the way. You can go around the whole table and do it with everybody it listening yeah. with, with, at, the, at the whole dining room table. You can do it with adults as well. Yep, totally. Great, you great can day. also do you can also do gratitude with uh, adults. So to who, the person next to you, what do you what are you grateful or what do you admire in them? Or you can have someone in the hot seat. Hey, it's you know it's Dad's turn. Let's let today. Let's talk about what we really appreciate with Dad. Let's talk about stories that are meaningful about Dad, the, the positive things that he's taught us. And so, what you're doing is you're pulling up those those characteristics and and viewing people in maybe a different light than we usually do. And I hope that they're not in the freaking red zone when you ask them the question. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking about the red zone. Your book, Get Out of the Red Zone, is on sale right now at, on at, at Amazon, amongst other places. But um, it, it's it, where else can people get it? On, on your website, on Amazon? Is there anywhere um, else? Getoutoftheredzone.com. There you go. Go straight there. That people. makes it easy. Getoutoftheredzone.com. You can get the book there. Before we let you go, we've got a, 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 something we all, on the show we call Last Orders, which I think Tom's going to divvy up for you. It's very quick and fast and furious. Oh. We, you've answered most of the questions I had for you anyway. Um, but I'll, put, I'll, I'll chuck one out there that, that is nothing to do with our podcast, but is everything to do with you. Dinner party. It's, my, it's one of my favorite questions, actually. Uh, at your fantasy, well, not your fantasy. If, you, if your fantasy dinner party, they can be dead or alive. Who are the three other guests? And you can have husband. You can have anyone you want. Maybe I should say you can't have husbands, okay? My clock's ringing. So. Is it a... Um, well, I'm going to have my husband, but he's going to be healthy. My husband has been on a ventilator for five years and paralyzed and a feeding tube. He has um, ALS. So it would be my healthy husband. It would be my daddy who um, passed away in January. And who would my third one be? Um, I, it would be in, it would be in the family. It would be my grandmother who passed away too, because I would love all three, all four of us to, to just be together drink some good Cabernet and have some nice conversations. And did, were you ever in a position where everybody was in that position? No, my grandmother had passed before. Yeah. So, okay. So it's okay. Fantasy. Great. So this would be a fantasy. Um, you're, you have a redheaded child. You said, I got to make these questions up on the hoof. You got a redheaded child advice, advice for parents with redheaded children because there is a there's a terrible stigma attached to being redheaded and people I, don't really I never realized what how much she had been bullied in middle school for being a redhead so just to be really aware I think your hair is beautiful people are always commenting how beautiful hair is 
there's a, there is a real stigma and kids, you know, kids are going to pick out anything that, that, that they think that another child's going to be uncomfortable with. So just be aware of that, even though it may be, I mean, for me, for us, it was passed down both of our, um, well, my husband's mother and my grandmother had red hair. So to us, it's just this beautiful part of being a family, but realizing that it can be, it can be a challenge. Can be. And just tip from me, remind them, because you've got to, you've obviously got a bit of color, the old red coloring, you can see it. Um, uh, uh, tip from me that there is only one genetic gold mine, which is where- <laughs> My husband's a left-handed, so he, he might say that's the left-handed uh, is the genetic gold mine, but I, I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell Kelly, that's my rat head, that today. Gold mine, we have got, you know, the gold, it's all in the color. Um, um, that was uh, no. I was going to say in the movie of your life, who would you have played? But I don't. I don't think that's an appropriate question for you. If you had to make a movie, what movie would you make? If I had to make a movie, what movie would I make? About. I mean, you can be very vague. Well, I have a fantasy about having a TV show, which I know isn't a movie, so I'll get to the movie, about having a TV show where we, you know, exactly what we're talking about. We're, we're interviewing celebrities and, and just people who are really successful. And we talk about not only the, what they've overcome, but but really provide those, those, those helpful, actionable steps. So I think the movie would have to be, you know, a, a typical, um, you know, going from a, a challenge to to overcoming the challenge, but really understanding how people do it, as opposed to seeming like it's magic. Because They're I not, think that the, the more we can, the more we can provide specific skills for our adults and our children, the more likely they are to actually implement them in their lives. Right. There you have it. There we go. Oh, you answer that. Shaken well. or stirred? Shaken. We have a shaker, people. Get out of the red zone. Shake it off. <laughs> That's right. Shake it off. <laughs> Dr. E, Elizabeth Lombardo, thank you so much. Um, it's been a real pleasure. I wish you so much success with it. And we, we look forward to your other books, Purpose and People books, coming out as a part of the success series. Good luck with it all and um, hope to stay in touch. Cheers. Well, thank you so much. Thank you both. Really good. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you very much for listening. That is Shaken Instead. We will be back next week with a, another podcast and another fantastic guest. And uh, stay safe. See ya.